Welcome to Deconstructing the Myth, a podcast exploring reasons why those who grew up in the American Evangelical Church are now leaving it behind. Today, my guest is Nathaniel Schweinberg, who brings up the age-old question, how can God be good and just and powerful and yet allow the suffering we see in the world? I think this is a really timely discussion for a lot of people, especially in light of big-scale recent issues in our world, like COVID and the social justice crises in America that have come to light in the past few years. Just a disclaimer, there are a lot of adult topics and adult language used in this particular episode, so if you have little ones around, you may want to put your headphones in. I have known you since, what, 2016 maybe, 17? Something like that, 2017, 2016, Something like that. You married one of my very best friends, Stephanie, who is also Mm -hmm. on an episode this season. And I remember when we met, I was just very um, struck by your thoughtfulness and your thoroughness um, with your beliefs. And now that you have deconstructed, and and we were both, um, all three of us, you know, very much in the depths of evangelicalism. And um, now you have come out of that, you've uh, deconstructed, and you still are very thorough and thoughtful. And I just think there's going to be a lot of really good stuff um, during our discussion today. So thank you so much for being here. Well, I was gonna say, I'm super stoked. And I remember like one of our first times being together. I don't know if you were aware of this context, but do you remember the night that we had like the dinner? It was you, me, I think Richie was there and Stephanie and Scott. And we were there, like, talking about theology stuff. Uh, Stephanie and I had been out earlier that day, and I had asked her out. And that was the first time that she told me no. And oh. then it was like, she was like, oh, no. <laughs> now I have to go do this dinner thing. <laughs> oh, no. I kind of forgot about this. Oh, my gosh. I remember <laughs> our discussion, because we had a theology discussion. But I don't think I knew that it was laced with awkward undertones. <laughs> so, anyways. But now you guys have been married five years. It's all good in the hood. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm glad that I'm glad that you were able to make it. Uh, to start off our talk today, could you just tell us about your spiritual upbringing? Um, effectively, I mean, it starts uh, with a shitty family. Um, mm-hmm. We were of the church, but I would say largely Christian in name only, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Like, um, both of my parents identified as born again believers. Uh, but my mother was incredibly abusive and emotionally, physically, and spiritually, and would mm-hmm. often use faith as a uh, battering ram to get her desires through and to manipulate us into doing what she wanted us to do. So that was like the context for the first 15 years of my life. And then my parents split up, and around the same time, uh, I had been going to church by myself because everyone else had stopped going. So it was getting to the mm-hmm. point where I was starting to choose it for myself, and it was also a way to get out of the house. So that was at that was at a Baptist church. Uh, I also, interestingly enough, felt the call to ministry there, which would like that will come up, I think, a few times, because mm. it was one of the things that kept me in for so long. I was that I was like, oh, I had this like I'm supposed to be doing something for God mm. someday. <laughs> um, but yeah, so chose faith around 14 or 15 for myself. Uh, dove in, went up to college. I was involved in my campus ministry. I was going to a state university, uh, one of the top 10 party schools in the country. So like, quote unquote, you know, it was a horrible place to be as a believer because everyone's, you know, everyone's being debaucherous. Okay. Um, 
<laughs> Sorry. Uh, yeah. So, but in, in, in all in actuality, it was actually a really great experience. Mm-hmm. Um, despite some of the, some spiritual, I don't even want to say abuses, but I had some leaders that should not have been leaders at their stage in their journey. Hmm. Yeah. Anyway, so I was uh, there for four years. Uh, I interned at two churches. Uh, I effectively interned at my campus ministry. Like I was very dedicated. I knew like this is what my life was supposed to be. Hmm. I was going this direction. And also at the very same time, like at the very end of my senior year, I was sick of God. I was really pissed off because hmm. I was being the good Christian boy and really wasn't seeing any any fruits or advantages of it in my life which i realize in the context of this this discussion someone can use that be like ah you're in it for what you'd get out of it Hmm. and no not really because i put up with a lot of shit Hmm. um but at that time i was really frustrated and once i graduated i moved away to nashville tennessee and for an internship uh where i was working with live events and worship and things like that and had some in the faith would call it a theophany but like i had a what i believed at the time to be a a experience of the physical manifestation of god um yeah and not necessarily like like you know god was in my room like i saw like a, a thing there but i i believed that i physically heard the voice and physically felt the hand um so like at the time I was reading a book called Experiencing God and they had posited that in order to fully experience God, you have to be 100% without a shadow of a doubt convinced that he loves you. And at the time I was like, uh, I don't. And then it kept going. I was like, and this is only something that he can do. So that was a Monday. And I was like, well, okay, like God, if this is it, like I am ready to jump ship. Uh, if this is something that you want to happen, I need you to do this. That was Monday. That Thursday, I'm in bed. It's like 1 a.m. And I'm praying. I felt on my chest a hand. And I heard in my ear, stay. Hmm. Super potentially innocuous, right? But for me as the hearer, uh, that was pretty... I mean, it would end up being life-changing because what that meant for me and i i did a double take i was like uh what and i heard it again i heard the word stay again oh wow and yeah so it wasn't even just like a you know passing thing it, it repeated itself hmm. so what that meant for me at the time was god actually wanted something that i wanted to which at you know at 22 years of age that was the first time i had ever heard that because uh, up, up until that point, my belief and my pre- preconception of what it meant to be a believer in in service and ministry was effectively doing something that you didn't want to do. Going to some place that was miserable for you or like the quote unquote suffering servant. Yeah. And this changed my belief that like, oh, wait, God wants something that I want. God actually cares about what I want. And this would start a whole journey of going away from viewing God as really horrendously judgmental and um, lawful and into what I would see as, as a loving and caring father. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was involved in a church. So, so the, the, the people that I was interning with, um, 
I don't want to say the name for their for their sake or for their privacy because but there's nothing really like they didn't do anything wrong they're a wonderful wonderful person and to this day i love them to death mm. and had such a great experience with them um like i got to go on the the ministry circuit with them or like on the event circuit and so like there was one pr- prominent uh uh church leader who she is the only church leader to this day that i think i respect like without a shadow of a doubt beth mm. actually beth moore so beth oh, moore wow. incredible woman um, didn't really get to talk to her very much, but even just... Sorry, I've just read a lot yeah. of her stuff. That's interesting to hear. Still respect her. I think she she does well within the system that she's in and advocates... Like, I mean, she's constantly advocating for women and doing yeah. a really good job. So at the time, when I was attending church in Nashville, I was going to a church called Journey Church. And it was a church full of people who had been either hurt by the church or didn't really feel comfortable in a lot of mainline evangelical places. And for me, it would be incredibly, incredibly healing. Um, the pastor there, Jamie George, incredible human being, um, phenomenal storyteller, compassionate, empathetic, the whole deal. Like, we just, I don't, I don't know how to say other than it was life changing. And mm-hmm. I experienced some of the most, you know, emotional healing that I have outside of therapy uh, in that church and in that community. Mm-hmm. So, that was 21 to 25 give or take and then my dad got remarried and my stepbrother had invited me to work at the church that he was working at which is which is one of the top 10 mega churches in the country okay gateway church in dallas so the invitation to work at my brother's my stepbrother's church involved moving to dallas texas and it would end up being one of the absolute worst years of my life i was alone I, I did have some friends. Like, I knew some people from an online community that I was in. And they were my lifeline. Uh, I would go climbing with them twice a week. And they were my one social interaction. That wasn't, like, filtered or restricted or talking to a boss or whatever. Like, at that time, I actually loved my boss. To this day, we still talk. And he is a massive source of comfort for me. Um but everything else, everything, everything else is awful. So I, uh, I ended up moving again near the end of that year uh, to go to California. All in all, California was great. I meet Stephanie and love of my life, know for a fact, like within four days of dating, I know in a, like in my soul, this is my wife. Oh, that's so sweet. Uh, <laughs> I love that. Like we'd gone out on... Right? And she I, I gave mean, I you a like, hard I, time. I, it took a while to get that date. I remember. <laughs> poor Nathan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, frankly, poor both of us because uh, we we definitely had a rocket ship relationship from the time of our first date to our wedding day is like four and a half months. Oh, it's wow. not long at all. Oh, I knew and, that, but I thought it was long. That's wild. Yeah. But you guys right? just yeah. knew. You just knew though. Yeah. Yep. Very much so. Like it was so that we had our first date and then the following Wednesday, uh, I think we're like laying on the couch cuddling or something like that. And and interestingly enough, very similar to the voice in my head that I thought that I attributed to God at the time of like, this is my wife. Mm-hmm. I know for a fact, this is my wife. Um, and now five years later, she's my wife. Oh, I love that. <laughs> and she was kind of the powder keg that that helped really initiate my deconstruction because I already I was already very aware of of issues in the Bible I was already mm-hmm. very aware of issues in uh, theology and questionable theology perspectives on women perspectives on LGBTQ plus etc um, 
and I kind of I don't want to say swept them under the rug, but I definitely did not give them the care and attention that they deserved. Like like those those topics and mm-hmm. care and attention that they, that they deserved for the sake of preserving my faith. Hmm. And I was more concerned at the time for preserving my faith than finding the truth, which listening to Stephanie's episode, one of the reasons why I think we are so good for each other is the truth has always been the most important thing. And we both went through the deconstruction process at the same time with the same exact goal in mind of we desire to know the truth, Hmm. whatever that may be. So, you know, she was, she was one of the first people that really exposed me to quote unquote liberal progressive uh, Christianity, uh, you know, who, who legitimately had care and concern for LGBTQ, for women, for immigrants, for the poor and marginalized that Jesus says we're to care for yeah, and who are routinely neglected by and ostracized by mainline evangelical. Hmm. Up until that point, I was surrounded by quote unquote true believers, like people that were in it, that, that followed the cause. And she helped challenge a lot of that. So now, you know, we're watching YouTube videos of people who are gay, who are transgender, who I had never really legitimately listened to up and until that point. I had, I knew the theology. I knew why it was wrong. So what does it matter if I'm talking to them to hear their experience? It's wrong, period. I don't need to think about it. Hmm. Um, and then listening to them greatly humanized them and realized like, no, they have, there, there is nothing wrong with their desires. They are not abominations to some degree. God did make them this way. And that's one of the, th- the things that kind of, you know, one of the threads that would eventually get pulled. So all that is to say, um, Stephanie exposed me to a lot of people and ideas that I had not been exposed to or really given time to. One, because I had isolated myself. And two, because the people that, I, that surrounded me were also within these same belief systems. So mm-hmm. they had all of the reasons I needed to know why being gay was wrong. They had all the reasons to say why being conservative is the right way and that liberals are all sending us to hell are going to make this into a communist desert. So fast forward to the pandemic. We're all locked in our houses. We're all forced, really forced into social media into ways that we haven't been um, interacting with each other online. And and then George Floyd is murdered, Um, which that was a watershed moment for me because I don't even know how to describe what specifically about it was. I think actually the police brutality. Um, I finally understood that it was wrong. Like, and not just like, oh, that's unfortunate. I'm sorry. Thoughts and prayers. It was like, this is fundamentally wrong. Hmm. This cannot happen anymore. This is infuriating. Um, And then combine that with the horrendous treatment of people protesting these things and the constant forgive me cocksucking of police and conservative leaders and church leaders like people bending over backwards to praise the police for beating the ever-loving shit out of peaceful protesters that that was that was the thing that like cracked the mirror if you will um, and really expedited the 
get the fuck out of here process. Um, because I was already reconsidering my position on homosexuality in the church. I was already reconsidering my position on women in the church. Actually, I was already pretty well out of that. Um, and also immigrants. And, you know, all of my politics are also shifting left relatively rapidly as I'm starting to think about these things more and, and recognize how my worldview was so skewed. So I think I mentioned before, I kind of had two other moments in my life where I was like, I was going to leave. I don't think that I was actively deconstructing in those periods of my life. I was just so frustrated with the faith that it was not worth it to me anymore to be a part of it. Hmm. Um, so the active active deconstruction really did happen in the last few years where I'm like actively evaluating how true is this? Does this stand up to various tests? Mm -hmm. Um, And one of those things that was really challenging for me that I, I I never ever had an answer to was the violence in the old Testament. I could not rectify that. I did not know how to rectify that. Uh, so I started looking, actually, no, Stephanie, Stephanie pointed this, this, this out to me. Um, there's a, uh, theologian, I believe he's a professor, at least was a professor, Pete Enns, Mm. phenomenal human being, wrote a great book called how the Bible actually works. And I read it while I was still a professing Christian and it brought so much comfort to me and in some sense, what pushed the first domino to start the chain of dominoes Mm -hmm. in that he helped contextualize the Bible instead of a as a holy book or a book that was divinely inspired but rather as a book that is ambiguous that is ancient and i forget there, there's one other word that he used to describe it um but all in all ultimately this was the book that helped helped me reason around and out of inerrancy okay. that i was like oh i don't need to make this a perfect error-free text this can be exactly what it is, which is a book compiled over a thousand years by 40 plus different authors. I forget the actual, I forget the number. All recording their particular experiences, what they believed to be the same God. And I was like, okay, I can I can roll with that. And, and he also helped contextualize the violence, um, not justify, but contextualize it as, you know, there's, there's all these fledgling civilizations trying to make their mark in the world that to some degree their gods are the, uh, like it's they're a bunch of kids on a playground all bragging about how tough and powerful their god is hmm. so they're to some degree making up all these stories about you know how big and bad their god is without them actually being factual or rooted in any sort of of truth so it it was really helpful for for me and i'd say to any other believer that is listening to this highly highly recommend it great hmm. great perspective if you struggle with these things so and that was when you were still that was, a, yeah. a Christian like that didn't yes completely knock yeah knock it out but it started getting you thinking in that direction you're saying right yes yes and and allowed me to still believe in God and and the story of Christ and the redemption and all of that without having to like because I haven't really described it up until this point yet like my my experience with God as an adult was full of grace and love and understanding and really was a good dad. Mm-hmm. Um, so to hear that dad was responsible for murdering mm-hmm. the entire population of the earth in the flood and 
however many firstborn children in Egypt and telling the Israelite nation to murder all the women and children in Canaan. Yeah. Like that was incompatible with who I knew God to be. So this helped me like, oh no, this is just a bunch of people recording what they thought to believe their experience with God is. Cool. I can I can roll with that hmm. for, for for a time. <laughs> so that's the kind of like the Old Testament was a big part of of one of the first objections that I would I would end up having against the Bible that would, you know, break everything apart for me. Um, but one of the other things was I viewed Christianity as very much a ontological exp- explanation for existence. Like Christianity was my explanation and reasoning framework for why I exist, why everyone exists, why this, you know, why existence is here and why existence is structured in the way that it is. So one of the other things that kind of broke some of that worldview was spiritual encounters by other people of faith, mm. as in people experiencing and having spiritual encounters that weren't Christians and people having authority there. For instance, there's a podcast called Spooked. They had an episode where a, uh, a person was describing their the summer camp they attended uh as an as a kid being raised in islam and telling a a story that if you had removed islam and put christian in it would be exactly the same this kid is uh displaying superhuman strength voices changing projectile vomiting everywhere oh my gosh they have to come in and bring in yeah they have to bring in i believe the term is imam but forgive me if that's not it, but effectively like their priest um, to come and exercise the boy. Like word for word, same yeah. exact experience is what is a typical Christian exorcism. And if we remember the words of Jesus, a house divided cannot stand when the Pharisees levied against him. The, oh, you know, you're, you're uh, either Beelzebub or, you know, one of his, one of his minions. Jesus is like, uh, no, a house divided cannot stand. So what do you mean? Like, why would I exerting authority over demons if i am one of them Hmm. so i was like this isn't compatible with that (laughs) if the bible is inerrant right if these are the actual words of jesus so that kind of uh broke my brain a little bit and then also hearing just a bunch of other experiences that people have and, and my own like yeah so thinking about my own experiences like i've encountered demons i've encountered people or more specifically i've encountered people who have been possessed and exercised one of them participated in the exorcism of another one and that's one of the other reasons why i've stayed in the faith so long is because i have no idea how to explain some of those experiences Hmm. yeah yeah and so and based on that what as far as your current spirituality what would you like define yourself as uh if i had to find a label i think agnostic atheist is the closest okay um yeah, like I, I legitimately do not know. So okay. that's the agnostic part. And I don't su- see sufficient evidence for a deity or group of deities. Mm-hmm. So atheist. Okay. Um, I do think there is, there's something that I do not know how to explain. Um, and that, that podcast spooked is a large reason why, because people have given, at least to me, sufficient evidence uh, that there are happenings in this world we have no idea how to explain either ghost stories or things like possessions or you know there's there's a lot there's a lot of things that we we don't know how to explain as of yet 
Yeah. And I, I think that's one thing from these interviews and some of my research recently, you know, where I still stand as a Christian, I think it's, it's only responsible to say it is broader than evangelicalism in particular has presented. So anyways, I just, I think that's, and it's a profound place to be able to say, I don't know on any side of the spectrum. I think that's something profound for you because you have a great deal of like really stark atheistic arguments and yet you still (laughs) are like, but I don't know. But it is powerful for someone who has encountered all of this to still say, I don't Mm -hmm. think this, even though I experienced things within the Christian framework that were powerful, like I don't think it Mm -hmm. makes sense (laughs) overall. So I do think that's important. So linking this all back to kind of what happened with George Floyd, the police brutality, all of those things, um, one of the points that deeply resonated with me and Stephanie from her episode was the influence of the Holy Spirit, Mm. that there are people who are claiming to commune with God who justify this violence, who perpetuate this violence, and say people who are speaking out against this violence are betraying their faith, betraying God, etc. So if we do, in fact, as believers, possess the Holy Spirit, and we are given this Holy Spirit as a means of conviction, why in the hell are these people not being convicted? Hmm. Or why in the hell are these people not listening to their convictions and or being held accountable by those in leadership and those and their subordinates? Because now that I'm on this side of things, I see the church as a organization that props up narcissists and abusers. And we are all designed and encouraged to kiss their boots and make them all feel great. Because how many Christian leaders do horrendously awful things and the church hides it because they know it would be destructive. It's written down. There's documentation of the church saying we will not out this because this will be damaging. And that is so antithetical to the God of the Old Testament who believes strongly in justice and that the people... Like, I, I, I will harp a lot on the violence of God in the Old Testament, but I will also harp on so much of the God of the Old Testament is about protecting and taking care of people who are not able to take care of and protect themselves. And this is so against that. Like, it is egregious. Okay, so let's dive a little bit into, like, the largest question of Christianity, I feel like the largest problem, I suppose, which is really the problem of suffering. And this, from what I understand, is, a, you know, maybe the underlying thread that ended up unraveling your faith. Because, Mm -hmm. and tell me if I'm saying this correctly, the heart of your argument is this assertion, if God was good, just, actually all-powerful, we wouldn't see the kind of suffering that we Mm -hmm. see in the world. We wouldn't see churches not being held accountable like this we wouldn't see people Mm -hmm. suffering for centuries um is that is that how you would sum up like your main core claim against christianity do you think yeah i think so like i i take a lot of issue with the with the omni god if Mm, you will so if they're omni omni powerful omnipresent omnipotent um i think there's a fourth but i forget but those those are the big three um all good maybe actually yeah no all good is all is it all powerful 
all-knowing, omnipresent, and all-good. Yeah, omnibenevolent, so, I believe, is the word. Yes. I, I personally, in this position of my life, hold God to the same standard that I would hold to someone else in the room of someone being abused. Okay. Because if God is everywhere and he knows everything and he possesses all the power in the world and he's all good, how is he held to a lower standard hmm. than a finite human being in the same room as someone being raped or abused? That is so egregious and so horrible and so designed for people who are abusers themselves to continue abusing other people. Mm-hmm. And that if they're leaders in the church or leaders in their family, like, you know, the, the, the husband is the head of the household. And just as the pastor or priest is the head of the church, this is, this is a system so well built and designed for perpetuating abuse without the ability for victims to hold their abusers accountable. So to me, God has to be not one of these things for for this to, to work out. Either he isn't all-powerful, meaning he can't actually intervene, or he isn't all-good, that he isn't just this purely benevolent God. And I think the Old Testament has plenty of evidence in, in, that, in that sense, thinking about uh, evil spirits. Job, the story of Job, sure, whatever, it's a poem, but still that's how they perceived God to be, mm. that God was, was in charge of, Satan, the accuser, as well as as well as the evil spirit that was sent to Saul to torment him, as well as other people, right? Or seeing God with Hosea telling him, take a wife that you know will be unfaithful. Hmm. That is awful shit. Or Jeremiah, the weeping prophet. Like there it is it is full of God both being good and truly horrendous. Hmm. So to me, I I hold whatever if, if any deity would claim to be omni, any, all of these things, you better damn well believe I'm going to be holding them to the same standard I would hold a person. That if someone in front of me is being abused, it is up to me to stop them. And if I don't, I am just as complicit. Mm-hmm. So to me, God is complicit with all of the hor- horrible, horrible things that have happened in this world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's not an easy... That's not an easy thing for Christians to answer, this problem of suffering and evil. And I think a lot of times people hang on without really diving into it because it is too painful to think about. And I think it's noble that you were brave enough to take a look at it. Um, I do want to hear your thoughts on some of the Christian arguments about suffering. And, you know, I think often you hear kind of this offhand remark of, well, all things happen for a reason. And I don't think that's sufficient. I don't think that's accurate, honestly. Um, I think God can use things and bring good out of them, but I don't think that they are ordained to happen for a reason most of the time. Um, but that's my personal <laughs> tangent there. Um, but one argument I really want to hear your thoughts on is the free will defense. And that's the idea that God is all-knowing, all-powerful, all-good, and he can create a world with evil and suffering, that all of these things can be logically compatible because the highest form of a good world would include truly free beings, beings that are able to choose love, to choose um, relationship, to choose god to choose anything that is like the highest form of good and so 
if God creates that sort of world, he has to also allow for these beings to truly choose evil things and for him to not interfere at every step of the way because that would, you know, make a lesser kind of world where people aren't actually free, where we are more like robotic um, creatures. And um, I have found this pretty compelling. Um, and yeah, what, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, bullshit. Complete and utter bullshit. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, and to be fair, this was the position that I had before mm-hmm. because the romanticized version of this is that God does not force himself on any, anyone. That was the like common perspective that was shared with me when I was in college. And even going so far as to say, God is a gentleman. He won't force himself on anyone to make to to love them, mm-hmm. um, which I think is a variation of this free will argument. And the reason I think it's complete and utter bullshit is because who, what parent in their right mind would not step out and prevent their toddler from stepping in front of a truck? Mm. What parent in their right mind would not immediately stop their child from beating the shit out of another kid? Mm-hmm. None. None. Why do we not hold God to the same standard? Well, and I yeah. do have a thought on Secondly, that. Secondly. Oh, before yeah. we go on, I do have a thought on that. Mm-hmm. If, and because I've thought about this because you actually brought this up. And when mm-hmm. we talked about this before, and we don't let them do those things. We let them do smaller right. things, right? Though we let, I mean, mm-hmm. I let <laughs> Addie upstairs might be like pulling Calvin's hair out. I've seen it happen and they do that to the cat too. It's not great. Um, and, <laughs> and yet, you know, we let the, some of these things happen for purposes that are bigger, knowing in mm-hmm. the scope of their entire life. And so I've heard some people say, God isn't dealing in our time frame; He's dealing in eternity. Mm-hmm. And arguably we are, we just don't realize it because we don't have a concept mm-hmm. of eternity yet so like in this idea of the truck like you're putting your kids in ultimate danger the christians would say no that's not what's happening it's it's almost like you know giving your kids shots to prevent terrible diseases or something like those shots hurt and they don't feel good and we could stop it as parents we don't because we see a bigger picture and we see how all of this like inter- intersects and plays together. So we still allow it. What are your thoughts on that? Oh boy. Um, a few. Uh, so, okay. So let's see. So it's twofold. One is the perception of time. Yeah. So let's put that on the shelf real quick. And the second, I don't have a concise way of saying this, but, but the expectations placed on a child versus placed on an adult. Um, one of kind of the core theologies about, explaining away why god can effectively do whatever the fuck he wants is this idea that we are finite human beings and are incapable like physically incapable of understanding his logic or reasoning Mm -hmm. because we are finite and yet god expects us to understand enough to decide the outcome of our infinite souls Mm -hmm. so there's a dichotomy there um Secondly, this whole I- this whole idea of we are but children. Again, we are finite beings incapable of understanding an infinite God and yet are also held to the standard of a mature adult and the concept of eternity. So insofar as like our decisions made here within a infinitesimal speck in the eye of eternity, that determines our infinite eternal outcome. Hmm. Again, to me, that is so fucked up. Um, which that, that can send us on, on all sorts of tangents on, well, okay, is, is there actual eternal punishment? What does eternal mean? And Rob Bell has some wonderful thoughts on, 
on what does eternity mean in the context of those passages. Um, so perception of time was the other thing that I was trying to remember. And it's argued that because our lives on this earth are so short in comparison to our lives in the context of eternity, that this really pales in comparison. And that is effectively Paul's argument in Romans, I believe. Mm. Um, but again, I call bullshit because perception of time is incredibly important in the context of suffering. If one of my limbs just fell off, I don't give a fuck if it's going to be helped in five minutes because somatically, like our body just like, uh, this is now my state of existence. Pain doesn't care about time. Pain is, it's just, I am now in pain and this is the way I am and will be for whoever knows how long. Mm-hmm. So all that is to say, um, I cannot think of a good reason that anyone ever should put in a position of suffering for the sake of their eternal soul. Um, like, like gratuitous, like, I'm not, I'm not talking about like discipline. I'm not talking, talking about like weight training one's character. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about, again, egregious abuses. Mm-hmm. Like there is nothing on this world that could ever justify a child being molested by a family member ever period. And to say that, oh, well, God can and would use it for good is so fucking disgusting. I'm, I'm, yeah, I, I, I cannot stomach it. And to think that the people that I know and love in my life would be told that is fucking awful. That, oh, you know, God God will use it. And, and in, my, in my opinion, this is an argument in favor of the idea that God is not all-powerful because that the idea that, well, it can and will be used for something good is only pertinent in the case of an impotent god like they couldn't do anything then so they'll figure something out along the way Hmm. (laughs) yeah so i'll i'll riff off of the uh the free will argument um so one so the, the 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 argument in favor of evil in the world is that we have free will or we in order for there to be free will effectively there must be evil broad strokes i'm not going to claim that's a great description of it but in general in generalities mm-hmm. the horrible problem with this or is that at least in oh sorry i was gonna say or i suppose we would say there has to be the possibility of evil it doesn't necessarily right. have to happen but it likely will would you say that's correct right yeah okay yes I, yeah the, the the potential for yeah there we go. and it just so happens that the world is now rife with evil because there is the potential for it we are capable of it yeah um the problem with this belief is that within, again, mainly in evangelical theology, is that once we reach heaven, we will all be effectively sinless beings. Our, our, our souls will have been completely purified insofar as they are able to live the rest of eternity without sin. So what happens to will in that case? Like, is our will removed? And, and then we spend eternity, the overwhelming majority of our lives... Uh, without the ability to have free will, which the cornerstone to that, like the cornerstone to the belief that, oh, we must have free will in order to fully love God. If that is true, then either, apparently our will is taken away from us to allow us to live sinless lives in heaven, and therefore we are not capable of fully loving God, which is odd considering that's like eternity is, we'll be spending way more time in eternity with God than they will be in this life. Or God actually is capable of creating us in such a way that we can have free will and live sinless lives. So what the fuck was the purpose of this life? Hmm. What the fuck was the purpose of the suffering? 
This is really interesting. So do you know, because I have not heard that before about heaven, but I mentioned this to a couple mm-hmm. people here and you, and I, I have heard people say, oh yeah, I thought that too. Is that is that in the Bible or is that something we are just taught? And like, where's that come from? Because I, I, yeah, as far mm-hmm. as n- not, so I guess I've had the assumption there wouldn't be sin in heaven, but mm-hmm. as far as not the you know, possibility, I, could- I don't know. I can't give you explicit scripture and verse, mm-hmm. but I can give you, um, like, portions of it. Okay. Or, or I think how it's how it's amalgamated into a theology. Okay. Um, one of those being God's presence cannot be around sin. Like it is, it is completely incompatible, and that's why the uh, the, the original temple had the holy of holies because one to separate God from sin and two and two because the high priest had to cleanse and purify themselves before entering the holy of holies so that he wouldn't be like struck dead immediately um so this whole idea of you know once once our our eternal souls get to heaven god's presence cannot stand the um the presence of sin so there so therefore we must not be sinners anymore um or or as i'm thinking about this now this this I mean, I, I don't, I don't, I've never heard this mm-hmm. taught, so I doubt this is actually part of the theology, but it's like, well, okay, if we're, you know, if we're covered by the sin of Christ, then whatever we do would be covered. But then it's just, that's just earth part two. And that's not at all what that's like, that's not what they're peddling. So, so, so I guess for me, I'm thinking, well, Jesus, if Jesus is God, when he was here, he was all about being around sinners. Um, but I don't know how that translates over into like the afterlife within Judaism mm. Sheol that was where they thought that they went like it was just a like it didn't matter whether you're good or you're bad you just kind of went into this place of nothingness mm. so like they didn't have this conception of heaven or hell until much later in their development so and I don't even think that I don't even know if if Judaism actually adopted these concepts of, of heaven or hell but it would eventually morph into what we now know as Christianity mm. so yeah yeah. Which if, if those concepts are man-made constructs, that would be very, um, mm-hmm. well, first of all, very damaging for what we've been taught about God. Mm-hmm. I, would that change? I am curious about this. Would that change your, um, your view on God? Because mm-hmm. I've mentioned, I've heard you mention a few times, like God's going to, you know, have people suffer for eternity for this, for what, for not knowing. Yeah. If there was no hell, or if say everyone was saved, that's kind of the universal universalist um, position. Would that change anything about your thoughts mm-hmm. on the Christian God, or not necessarily at this point? Functionally, not necessarily, okay. because now that eternal torment is off the line, uh, I have no reason to be afraid of not doing what they want me to do. Mm. And whereas, if I am afraid of this great unknown, then you're damn fucking sure I'll be. Uh, changing my behavior to to go to the good place mm-hmm. <laughs> which is you know what drove me a lot is the fear of the unknown yeah so or the fear of hell but now if i don't have to be worried about what happens after i die the fuck does it matter if i worship or don't worship god so another hypothetical question then what do you think the world would look like if there was an all-powerful all good yeah. all-knowing um mm-hmm. all just god Oh, right, right, right. Heaven. What we what we purport heaven to be. It's a place without sin. Uh, it's a place that, like... Or, or another way, the garden. 
like mm. quote unquote before sin entered the world so okay so for this to actually practically play out in like real time mm-hmm. uh, would our free will have to be gone i don't think so to not sin at least this is how my this is what my understanding of heaven is is that we wouldn't even have the desire for it mm-hmm. like there we would be such you know highly elevated beings that that the concept of harming another would effectively be unconscionable and you know all of our needs are being met so there's no need for us to steal or to abuse or to take control of something because we all have our have our needs met so now ideally (laughs) this is the heathen in me uh we would all be you know allowed to get drunk and party and have fun like there's no there's no reason for a lot of the uh structures that are placed on this world now that we um say are wrong when when outside of this belief system there's absolutely nothing wrong with them because underneath underneath the how do you say like we we say that certain things are sinful because of the spiritual consequence Hmm. when the physical consequence there is none like there's nothing wrong there's nothing actually wrong with getting drunk yes it's damaging it's potentially damaging to your body and it will damage your body over time Mm -hmm. but it is purported that there is a larger spiritual consequence to this so when i was young very young um I actually was an atheist for a, a small amount of time. And I did not, I, I mean, I grew up in the church and everything and it, I was not a sophisticated atheist, mm-hmm. you know, um, but <laughs> the, because I was just a child and I didn't have language and, and deep concepts, but essentially I think it, it did come down to this question of suffering. And it's funny because I think like you, it was not my own suffering. It was looking yep. and thinking what in the world for these other people, um, Yep. which is just an interesting thing to me. Um, but it really came down to like, it just doesn't seem compatible. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, as I've gotten older, um, my ideas have changed on on just pain in general. And I think pain and suffering are different. But I think when I think about the things I could not imagine have going through, I have gone through some of them now. And the thing I'm thinking of is childbirth, you know, the pain that is described and is not off. I mean, it's not falsely described, (laughs) but when you think of that, you're like, well, why would anyone ever do that again? But everyone does like not everyone, but a lot of people will say, that seemed terrible and then on the other side after having the perspective of going through that and then having the child they're willing to do it again uh it's it's like the perspective has drastically shifted and i guess when i think of applying this to god in some ways i have given god more grace as an adult Mm. which is a strange thing to say but (laughs) this idea of a different, almost going in the opposite direction as you, yeah. because I'm thinking um, things that seemed terrible to me now are overcomable with perspective, I guess. It, it, and I'm mostly just thinking of personal situations I've been through myself. So I guess for me, I'm thinking of if there's only one kind of way in which I can have children. Um, I should say biological children, I guess, in this instance, and that is through the pain of childbirth. Mm-hmm. Um, it's worth it to me. Would you say, though, I guess it sounds to me like you're saying 
it's not worth it to have a quote-unquote good world if that still entails evil and sin being a necessary part of it. Is that what I'm hearing? Well, that's, I guess, part of the problem. What is sin? Yeah. And, you know, you ask you ask a thousand Christians, you'll get 10,000 different answers. Mm. So I I personally believe that, okay, so, so trying to like wrap this in the me as a fully realized healthy human being, there are acts that that will still quote unquote hurt people. I will still hurt people's feelings in this life. Mm-hmm. And I can still recover from that and apologize and, and work to rectify that situation. But I believe pretty strongly, and I believe the evidence supports this, that when our needs are met, when we are when we are loved and valued and we have a place to sleep and we have clothes on our back and we have food in our stomachs the desire to do these horrible things is all but eliminated because there is no reason for me to take advantage of or to harm someone else Hmm. you're saying if god was good just all powerful these needs would be met and we could still have free will Yep. And I suppose the question I would have, is that a greater world than a world where we have the possibility to develop the character where we could still um, choose good even when those needs are not met? Does that question make sense? Because I guess there's I some so. unrealized potential in, in that kind of world mm-hmm. from my perspective. You don't have the character development um, and what Christians would call probably sanctification um, yep. without that. So is that world better of the two does that make sense i think implicit in that is that asceticism is the higher like being ascetic is better and i fundamentally disagree okay. with with asceticism i do not see value can you define that personally. for our some of our listeners yeah so being uh i hope i do a good job um asceticism is effectively saying you know if i'm the if i'm capable of depriving my desires that makes me into a better human being, hmm. you know, actively resisting wants and desires. Like, you know, if I want an ice cream sandwich saying no and actively not, even though I want to, or in some sense, pleasure is a bad thing. And I fundamentally disagree with that for sure. Hmm. Okay. And I don't agree. So you would say that the first few where the needs are all met, but we are not tested would be the better quote unquote world. It's funny you use that word tested. What value does that provide? Hmm. That is a really interesting question. What value does that provide? I I think maybe testing provides the opportunity for there to be creatures that are good because of character uh, instead of primarily just good because of environment. I don't know. <laughs> what do you think? I, I haven't fully explored this personally, but I Me think neither. there's a Can lot of, there's some things that are hidden in there. <laughs> well, and, and I think in a way that this question does tie back to sort of the biggest question, the one for you that really was the most important in your deconstruction. And that's that question about how long can God allow suffering and still be good and still be just. And so as we're finishing up, can you tell us why that question is so important 
how long can God be amidst suffering before he's considered unjust? And my opinion, immediately, like there's no, there's no delay. He's everywhere. He knows everything. He's capable of stopping suffering. If he does not immediately act, he is unjust. He is like, does the same expectations that we would have of a human being in that situation also apply to God? Hmm. There is nothing in my opinion, that restricts God from, from acting like well, pe- people bring up the whole free will thing. We've kind of dove into that mm-hmm. and touching on like that. I've, I, you know, I have done the reading, uh, CSS Lewis problem of pain. Great book. The big takeaway for me, or at least what I think how people justify it is that God created this universe with certain rules and structure in place. And if we believe that pain in and of itself is bad, then God would have to intervene every time someone tripped over a log. Mm-hmm. And well, that wouldn't work. Yeah. And no, like I, I am of the belief pain is not inherently bad. Mm-hmm. It's simply a warning system and a signal system in our body to let us know something's wrong. And that's kind of the underlying thing, right? Mm-hmm. Pain is our signal system to let us know something is wrong and needs to change. So when God allows for these things to happen, that system is so strong in our bodies that he designed us, he designed us to suffer. Hmm. Fuck him. Hmm. It does make me think though, like when pain is strong enough or when suffering is strong enough, people will often black out or people will often die (laughs) when it gets that bad. And so there is almost like this natural or maybe physical safeguard against mm-hmm. like endless suffering. But from what yep. I'm hearing you say, it doesn't mm-hmm. matter. Like God created us with this capability and when yep. we do suffer and he doesn't step in, then that's yep. on him. Is that what I'm hearing? Precisely. Yeah. Yep. If, if like this... The, you know, it bleeds into the other theology of like, well, this must be the best of all possible worlds mm-hmm. because God is all the, all the, God is all the things. And so, you know, this must be the way it's supposed to be. Mm. I, I call bullshit. Mm. Well, Nathaniel, thank you so much for sharing your thoughts with us mm-hmm. on your story and your thoughts on suffering and evil. And we're actually going to have a second episode with you discussing your top five Bible objections. So if our listeners Yay. are interested in that, they can hop in next time. If this episode was meaningful to you, please consider supporting the show at patreon.com slash deconstructing the myth so that episodes like today's keep coming.